Uh, Trump trashes the COVID relief bill. Mike Flynn infers foreign agencies intercepted election information. A.G. Bark cryptically uh, talks about conspiracy to overthrow the Trump administration. And finally, a deep dive into the Biden crime family. But first, check out the incompetence from the uh, New Jersey state government. In order to start on the 21st, there was a deadline of the 7th for input of all the registered um, skilled nursing facilities, long-term care facilities, assisted living facilities, of which we have about over 600, six, over 650. We missed that date by uh, a day, and they wouldn't. Uh, we asked to be able to start on the 21st, and they said, no, you'll start on the 28th. It's as simple as that. Why the date was missed? Why you missed? Uh, I think it was just the volume of uh, information that had to be inputted. Nothing more than that. Uh, so good old Jersey missed the deadline in order to get the COVID vaccination. I guess there was some sort of paperwork they had to fill out. That individual speaking, that is the health commissioner of the state of New Jersey, that is Judith uh, Persichilli. She's right next to um, she's right next to our governor Murphy. There, so you have 600 to 650 facilities, uh, whether it's nursing homes, uh, care facilities for older people, or if it's just community homes for older people, they all will now be getting the vaccine in a week late. They were supposed to be getting it the 21st, it was supposed to be getting shipped to them. So everything's going to be late now because they missed the date. I guess the date was December 7th to fill out that paperwork, and apparently they missed the date by a day. I highly doubt that. They probably missed it by a couple days. If it was a day, I'm sure that they'd probably be able to figure it out, considering it was a two-week rollout after that. She's probably just kind of making it up to cover herself. So that's that. That's New Jersey's incompetent governance. Uh, anyone that lives in New Jersey, they know what I'm talking about because I am from New Jersey, and I figured I'd throw that one in there. So next what I have for everybody is I have Trump. Trump is turning down this COVID relief bill. It's looking like uh, he's going to veto it. I don't think there's been an official veto in the books, but he came out yesterday, uh, last night or two nights ago, just trashing this bill, saying that it's a disgrace, and I'm going to have that. I'm going to have a couple clips for you to listen to. And then the most interesting one is going to be uh, where all the money is actually going, what countries are going to be receiving the money, on, and what domestic uh, federal buildings the Kennedy Art Center being one of them, the Smithsonian. That's These are places that aren't even open and they're getting uh, funding. I'm sure they're, like I've said this before, there's probably some sort of blackmail going on or those individuals are set up. The people that are in charge of those agents of those buildings are probably politically connected and it's probably some sort of way to launder money. So what I have here, the first clip is going to be a Trump's reaction to the COVID relief disgrace bill. Congress started negotiations on a new package to get urgently needed help to the American people. It's taken forever. However, the bill they are now planning to send back to my desk is much different than anticipated. It really is a disgrace. For example, among the more than 5,000 pages in this bill, which nobody in Congress has read because of its length and complexity, it's called the COVID relief bill, but it has almost nothing to do with COVID. This bill contains... So that's Trump pretty much saying what everyone in Americana consensus thinks other than the uh, the supporters of this bill, other than the politicians and the swamp. Everyone's pretty much thinking the same thing. It seems like there's a consensus across the board on all the social media sites. Uh, no one is happy with this bill because of only $600 worth of relief. And then there's other things that are in the bill as well. I covered it yesterday. But Trump is going to go on in this clip and uh, and he's going to talk about it. But first, I want to say this. I have this article here and it is from uh, CNBC because there's a lot of people. He's getting a lot of flack. There, there seems to be people online that think that because they hate Trump obviously they they think he's a narcissist which in a way he in some ways I think he is uh but I don't think he's a narcissist in the way in which they think he is they're saying oh he's just doing this to build himself up after he leaves he's doing this to you know screw the next administration coming through uh, but here I have a CNBC article and if you look at the date here uh, July 30th, it was published, updated July 31st, 2020. Uh, it's, a, it's titled, Trump wants second stimulus to be more than $1,200. Experts question whether that's the right relief. Uh, President Donald Trump said in a recent interview that he wants the second stimulus checks to be more than 1200 So 
he's going to go on to the very end of this uh of this video it'll be the third clip he'll talk about how much he wants it to be and it does really line up with his opinion from months ago it has nothing to do with really self-aggrandizement at this point is he he sees i think he has a good um he's very shrewd in terms of seeing what his supporters want seeing what his constituents want and then kind of following through or building his agenda around what he his um what the people want and actually enacting the policy not just going up there and saying it and then once he gets in office, not following through with any of the commitments that he made. So next what you're going to have is you're going to have, he's going to talk about all the things that are being spent in this bill. All of pretty much, they're calling it the pork, rather the fat, the, the BS, the garbage that's in this bill. Uh, funding all of these foreign countries as well as these, these institutions that aren't even open. So check this one out. This bill contains $85.5 million for assistance to Cambodia. $134 million to Burma, $1.3 billion for Egypt and the Egyptian military, which will go out and buy almost exclusively Russian military equipment, $25 million for democracy and gender programs in Pakistan, $505 million to Belize, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, and Panama. $40 million for the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., which is not even open for business. $1 billion for the Smithsonian and an additional $154 million for the National Gallery of Art. Likewise, these facilities are essentially not open. $7 million for reef fish management. $25 million to combat Asian carp. $2.5 million to count the number of amberjack fish in the Gulf of Mexico. A provision to promote the breeding of fish in federal hatcheries. $3 million in poultry production technology. $2 million to research the impact of down trees. $566 million for construction projects at the FBI. The bill also allows stimulus checks for the family members of illegal aliens, allowing them to get up to $1,800 each. This is far more than the Americans are given. Uh, there's, there's a lot to cover there. Uh, the very end, the illegal aliens, what he's referring to is the very last stimulus check we got. They, they did not get them, so now they're going to get a repayment from that. They're going to get a surplus. They're going to get an additional 1200 on top of the 600 that they were supposed to be getting with this new one coming through. It seems like Trump is not going to sign it. And then he's also talking about, and this one's interesting, is uh, federal hatcheries with eggs with fish eggs we're, we're studying down trees we're putting money towards studies for downed trees and we're also putting money towards uh federal fisheries we're putting money towards what was the other one that was so ridiculous oh construction construction for the fbi buildings which doesn't really make any sense that should be in the fbi budget to begin with you shouldn't have to add additional money to that fbi budget that should be just written into whatever the governing uh, bill is. That shouldn't have to be added on a stimulus. It doesn't really make any sense. And then the other one that he said was uh, the down trees. And there was one other one that's like just so outrageous. Oh, the poultry. Last time I checked, the federal government is not in the... Um, they're not in the business of owning poultry facilities or farms. They're, they don't... like cultivate chickens the last time i checked so i don't really understand where that money's coming from then you know he goes into all the other fluff having to do with the money that we're giving to other countries everyone's heard it i'm not gonna like keep going on and repeating it but it is goes to show how much the establishment really really cares about the regular working class american so next what i have is the very end is where he requests the more funds uh to go to the people rather than all of these random trivial uh pursuits I am asking Congress to amend this bill and increase the ridiculously low $600 to $2,000 or $4,000 for a couple. I'm also asking Congress to immediately get rid of the wasteful and unnecessary items from this legislation and to send me a suitable bill or else the next administration will have to deliver a COVID relief package and maybe that administration will be me. And we will get it done. Thank you. 
at the end there, he hints a little bit, uh, the next administration may be me. Right now, it seems like he is meeting with representatives of the House as well as senators in the uh, Republican Party, and it seems like they might actually try to invoke that, uh, that 12th Amendment that I covered. I think two videos ago, two current event videos ago, they're going to try to invalidate the uh, the electors or just not validate them through the through the process of the Twelfth Amendment, and then kicking everything to the House of Representatives. House of Representatives have to go by whatever the vote says in the state legislature. Now, what I'm seeing from uh, Democrat lawmakers, I'm seeing it from Ted Lieu, especially in California, is they're saying they're not going to abide by the Twelfth Amendment. Essentially, they're saying we don't care what state legislators have to say when it gets kicked to the House of Representatives, which would be a uh, violation of the Constitution. I don't really know exactly how that would go from there. Now, uh, so what I'm seeing, so everything that Trump is pursuing essentially is constitutional. There's also another article that uh, maybe I'm going to cover this weekend if I have a weekend. I'm, I'm thinking about not doing a weekend uh, special just because I had two current events this week. And it seems like from what I am what I see with my viewership is there's less... I think people are trying to catch up right now because I'm putting out so much content, really. So I'm trying to... Maybe I'll slow down on that. I'll, I'll leave the weekend open. So, yeah. So what we have here is Trump's requesting 2000 per person, uh, 4000 for a couple which is essentially what he was calling for uh, months ago. Like I stated, that July 31st article from, uh, I think it was NBC that I had there. So that's Trump. He's, he's pretty much saying he's turning it down. And next what I have is, uh, oh, this this is the thing too, is what I read is, I've been reading this online. I don't know if it's true because there hasn't been an article yet this morning written about it. But they're stating in this new bill that they were going to try to pass through a repeal of the Insurrections Act. Now, to be honest, I don't really know if it is constitutional to repeal the Insurrection Act because I have the articles here. I have Article 1, Section 8, Clause 15 of the Constitution, and this is Article 1 entails all of the powers to the, uh, to the uh, legislature here. So what I have is, and it states, the legislature has the power to provide for calling forth the militia to execute the laws of the union, suppress insurrections, and repel invasions. So that is the power to call forth the militia, but it says the militia to suppress insurrections and repel invasions. They have the power to call them forth. It doesn't say anything about the military. It does not say anything about the the federal army and the navy. And if you read throughout the the Federalist Papers, if you read throughout the Constitution, they differentiate from the militia, the army, and the navy. They're all different, you know, entities, their own. And then in Section 2, Clause 1, now this is the power of the President. The President shall be Commander-in-Chief of the Army and Navy of the United States and of the militia of the several states when called into the actual service of the United States. He may require the opinion in writing of the principal officer in each of the executive departments upon any subject relating to the duties of their respective offices, and he shall have power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States, except in cases of impeachment. So, he has the power to call upon the militia, but it's when called into the actual service of the United States, which is stated in uh, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 15, the one I just called. It is to provide for calling forth. The legislature has the power to provide for calling forth the militia to execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrections, and repel invasions. So really what the Insurrection Act is, it is, is calling on the military force as well as um, the National Guard. And the National Guard is considered, it's considered the federal of the federal power, but if you want to go into a state like, let's say, Pennsylvania, you do need the authorization with only the National Guard. You need the authorization of the governor of that state. With the military, you don't need that. You can invoke the Insurrection Act and use military forces rather than uh, the National Guard. But, you, I mean, usually it's easier to use a National Guard because our National Guard, the way I look at it is National Guard's federalized, but they're the closest thing to a militia that we have, like an actual organized militia that we have. So the legislature really does, I don't really know if they have the power to, re, to repeal this from the from the president. Uh, it seems like they have the power, if it was a, some sort of an order having to do with the militia, they would have the power to do it. And obviously you need the legislature to declare war, but this isn't declaring war. Invoking the Insurrection Act is not declaring war. So you kind of get into a weird, wishy-washy gray area there. I think that if they tried to repeal the Insurrection Act, I think it wouldn't. It shouldn't go through the Supreme Court, but I think it, it might. Because 
at the end of the day, the check on the Insurrection Act has nothing to do with the legislative uh, providing to providing them the allowance to do it through like a vote. It has to do with them being able to still, at the end of the day, defund the military if they really wanted to, and then impeach the president. So they already have a lot of powers or a lot of counterbalances to the idea of the Insurrection Act if they think that the Insurrection Act is being used unjustly. And if you read the actual Insurrection Act, it's used to repel insurrections, rebellions, and I think like violence. So pretty much it's, it's, it's these situations where it was really justified to be used in these big cities over the summer where there was uh, riots and they were burning down people's businesses and, and uh, assaulting people and killing people on the streets. That's when the Insurrection Act really should have been invoked and it should have been completely justified, but the Democrats were making it like it wasn't justified to do that when Trump, I think he sent in certain federal forces. I don't even really know if he sent in the military. I think he sent in like FBI, all the federal forces. So yeah, that that is, um, it seems like that's a justified power, the Insurrection Act of the President, and it doesn't look like it should be able to be repealed by the legislature, and the legislature, if, they're, if they find fallacies or, or they think that the Insurrection Act is erroneous in a certain uh, situation where it is being abused, they can easily, there's many actions that they can use to counteract the Insurrection Act, such as a... Uh, such as a presidential impeachment, they can they can take the purse away from the military, pretty much take away all the funding from the military, so they're no longer there's no foundation. Uh, there, there's a lot of things that they can do to counteract that, and then there's also state governors can do certain things to counteract that as well. Like I said, National Guard can't come in without the uh, the governor's approval. So now what I have next is I have Mike Flynn. I'm going to be covering this. He's, he's talking about how some foreign countries were, they have evidence or they have some sort of information or intelligence of the attacks on our election system on on uh, the 3rd of November, Election Day. So uh, play clip seven. I want to continue the conversation. The general has just told us uh, that uh, other countries, intelligence agencies have been, uh, were watching our election on November 3rd and have important intelligence to share with the United States. Uh, General, uh, how soon can can they provide that to the United States? Well, I think that they'll provide it directly to the president um, once we present the evidence to him and to uh, to the, you know, through the legal process that we have. And, and they they're willing, more than willing to do that from what we understand. Uh, if you notice now, Flynn's a little cryptic with his message. He's talking about, oh, they will provide it to us. And then he goes, once we go up and, you know, go through the necessary avenues to go and present it to the president. So he's saying we as if it seems like he has some sort of information that other people are not aware of or the president isn't aware of. And apparently there's these reports Sidney Powell's been in and out of the White House. It seems like there must be some sort of information that is being told to Trump. So what I have here, and this this goes off of the interview. I didn't want to show the whole interview, but this, this goes off the interview that Flynn had on Fox News Business. Uh, now, Flynn's foreign intelligence agencies were... Flynn stating that foreign intelligence agencies were monitoring the U.S. election, willing to provide information to Trump. This was uh, December 20th, uh, 2020. I don't know if I have the the author here. I'm surprised I don't have the author. Usually I do. Maybe there wasn't any, but it's an Epic Times piece. Now, it states, and I quote... Let's see, actually, I'm going to try to find the author because I don't want to give a hat tip. I don't want to... Uh... Nope, doesn't, doesn't have anyone here. It's weird. I guess it's from Epic Times. I had it written down. I could have swore I had it written down. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe... There you go. Jack Phillips. Uh, that is... Jack Phillips is the name of the author of this. So he's he's, he's quoting uh, Flynn throughout. Flynn states, and I quote, We have evidence now of foreign countries... Uh, we're watching the attacks on our election system, our election process on the 3rd of November. Uh, and then he states, So we have now... So we now have evidence, have that evidence, and we receive that today. But the foreign governments are willing to provide that directly to the president, Flynn remarked. There are foreign partners and allies that are willing to help us. Flynn has been making this reference uh, to SolarWinds, cyber attack that impacted a considerable portion of the federal government agencies. It is not clear if Flynn's 
previous remarks about foreign countries monitoring the November 3rd uh, elections was linked to the SolarWinds hack. And then he states, and I quote, I would say if Sol SolarWinds is an entry point into the rest of the entire U U.S. critical infrastructure, Flynn added, so everything that touches the United States government, if you enter through the SolarWinds attack that we perceive, you basically have keys to the vault. So essentially saying SolarWind really is connected to everything. And this is something that I actually mentioned earlier and I think he goes, these these hackers compromised agencies, critical infrastructure programs, and private sector organizations starting in March 2020 or possibly before that, according to the agency. Now, he states, and I quote, you're able to rummage around and do blank, meaning uh, it rhymes with hit. You're able to do hit near anything. So it's a very, very serious attack. We've known about it for about six months, as I understand it. And then he states... So when we talk about our election security, Lou, he's talking to Lou Dobbs, I think this is all part of it because there's a relationship between the solar winds attacks, which have basically, which has basically penetrated our entire infrastructure as well as our election securities. So this is something that I actually stated before uh, in the last video. I was talking about solar winds, and I said I'm hearing, I'm hearing these, these stories and these echoes that so that this entire hack to begin with in solar winds was actually hacked way before, like in the summer. And this information is just being released now. So this this hacking of SolarWinds, uh, that is the that is the software for Dominion uh, voting systems. It's the software, I guess, to the site. If you're an employee, you go on there. Now this this hacking of SolarWinds could have actually impacted the election, and that's really what he's alluding to. He's kind of speaking a little bit cryptically, but if you don't have any background on the information, uh, like the normal. Like the normal American, you wouldn't be aware of this. But if you've been listening to this show, I've been uh, alluding to it. I've been covering it extensively. So now Bill Barr, this is this is my next article I have here. And it's pretty crazy that, you know, we had a hack and it seems like this is, this is what happens. This is exactly what happened with the whole Trump administration, all the spying that was going on on his administration. They, the media slowly trickles out the information. And then by the time everything's said and done, it's already been two, two three years. All the information's out, but it's been coming out so slow that it's not a huge leak of information where all of it is going to be, go viral on, on whether it's the internet or on the news. It's not all going to be covered if it's small amounts, small trickles of information. And that's what they do, the media, because they are cooperating with the establishment. And that's the reason they do that, because they don't want it to actually be covered. If they came out with all this information at once, oh, SolarWinds hacked, SolarWinds had something to do with Dominion, SolarWinds apparently now has been hacked months ago. If they came out with all of that information at the same time, it would be a huge news story. And even if they did, it's going to be suppressed by the mainstream because they don't want it to get out there to the regular uh, American now, Bill Barr, this is the next article I have, and this is kind of, this relates in a way because Bill Barr does the same thing. He insinuates, and this it's a Daily Wire piece written by Ryan Savidra. It is titled, A.G. Barr Gives Update on Durham Probe. Uh, he says a group of people attempted to topple the Trump administration. So that's him just, he's talking about the whole Trump spygate, everything that happened to his uh, his campaign before he was even the president, all the spying that was going on on his campaign. So this is an interview that he had. I think it was the lady's name is Stra Miss Strassel. It's an interview he had. So he's during an interview last week, Attorney General William Barr gave an update on criminal investigation into the origin of the Obama era FBI counterintelligence investigation into the Trump campaign, saying that a willful, if small group of people were involved in an attempt to topple the Trump administration. Barr made the remarks in an interview with Wall Street Journal columnist Kimberly Strassel, in which he noted that he was, quote, in a position in life where I can do the right thing and not really care about the consequences, quote, unquote. So Mr. Barr says that Mr. Durham's probe is now tightly focused on the, and I quote, the conduct of Crossfire Hurricane, the small group at the FBI that was most involved in that. So it was, uh, Crossfire Hurricane is has to do with like setting up Trump. And the small group in the FBI that was Peter Stroke, Lisa Page, these people that were, that were all involved in this and they were all colluding together. As well as, and I quote, the activities of certain private actors. And I quote, and he will not, and he does not elaborate on this. And this is very important. So when he says a small group 
everybody knows that this was this information it was laundered to make it uh, clean information it was laundered through Christopher Steele it was laundered through British intel British uh, spying or British intelligence now what Bar Barr is not going to go out here and outright uh, explo exploit or uh, rather rather show that it is Great Britain or it, it is you know Intel coming from intelligence that came from foreign allies from what I understand and I've been hearing uh, Dan Bongino talks about this extensively as well he's what what he thinks is Mr. Bill Barr will not admit that these foreign countries but were colluding with the FBI to spy on the Trump administration because they could, because of the certain laws, the way that laws are written in Great Britain, there's not as much needed to spy on people. There is not as much probable cause or, or warrants are not needed. So from what I understand, it seems like the FBI and Mr. And, and Bill Barr's talking about this saying private actors, he's talking, but he's not going to elaborate on it. And, uh, these foreign actors are actually, our government went to Great Britain and asked them, hey, can you spy on the Trump administration for us? And then we ran, run it all and launder it all through Christopher Steele. We throw it into the system. It perpetuates itself, therefore corroborating it. And then in the United States now, we can get a probable cause and a warrant for that spying. So Mr. Durham has publicly stated he's not convinced the FBI team had an adequate predicate to launch an investigation. In September, Director of National Intelligence John Radcliffe declassified a document showing that the FBI was warned in 2016 that the Hillary Clinton campaign might be behind the collusion claims. So yeah, so, and then and then Barr weighed in on his decision to not divulge information that Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, is under criminal uh, federal criminal investigation over his taxes and foreign business dealings. And he states a lot of Republicans think that's playing by Robert's rules. You are being soft on the other side, and I understand that frustration, Barr said. He states, it's painful that the system is used against Republicans and there is an AG not willing to do the same thing against Democrats, but that is the only way we found our way back. He goes on, think about the power it would give the federal bureaucracy. The standard for investigating someone is low, so just gin up an investigation, make it public, and affect every single election. So we're looking at a guy, Bill Barr, and he's getting a lot of flack. People are hating on him. I think Bill Barr actually has some sort of set, set morality or standards or ethical code, and he does not want to impact the election. That's why he was not reporting, I think, on a lot of that, that Hunter Biden stuff. I think he also doesn't want to cause instability in our, in our system because if the people actually learn that our federal government is going after uh, administrations that are uh, succeeding, seceding or yeah, successor, I guess you would call it, successor administrations or campaigns, our federal government is using their their federal power and they're weaponizing the FBI and going to opposing countries to overthrow administrations. I don't think Bill Barr wants any of that information out because he's actually afraid of the instability it might cause and the distrust in the system. And that's why he's kind of stepping around the issue. I think now because he because he's a guy that probably trusts and the American system, you know, and he doesn't want other people to he doesn't want to sow discord. So now what I have next, and that's just my perception. Uh, keep it just make sure everybody just make sure you keep an eye out on any of that information. I'll obviously report if anything else comes out, any conclusive data comes out covering any of that. So what I have next is I have Peter Schweizer. Uh, he explains why the Hunter Biden story is so significant. And uh, it is. I think he goes on some TV. I'm trying to think where he went on TV. He had an interview about it, and he's just trashing the Biden administration. I mean, the Biden Biden crime family the whole time. He's on Breitbart. He had an interview on Breitbart. So this is a Breitbart article. Now it is written by Robert Krejcik. It is titled "The Biden Five: The De Definitive Breakdown of One of America's Most Corrupt Families." So he starts off. He states, there's no question about it, Joe Biden is the planet around which the moons of his family travel, uh, and the gravitational pull is Joe Biden's power and his position, and the family has enriched themselves based on the positions he's had. 
Now, he continues, before Joe Biden is vice president of the United States, they're really not doing many international deals. But once Joe Biden becomes vice president of the United States, suddenly they've got foreign government and foreign entities falling over themselves to cut them in on deals that they have no background or expertise in. There's a direct link between the corrupt acts of the family and the policy positions and power that Joe Biden has. So he's pretty much saying before Joe Biden was the president, I mean the vice president under Obama, there's nothing going on, there's no deals, there's no um, there's no businesses going on with the family, and then suddenly he's vice president and there's all these international deals that are getting cut. Suddenly, out of nowhere, and it's all kind of revolving around Joe Biden. So his number one, he's going to go through five different individuals in the in the Biden crime family. You have Hunter Biden, which is he does the most extensive all the stuff with Hunter Biden. You don't even know some of the stuff. It's it's pretty extensive. It goes pretty deep, and it's it's from two thousand. It's uh, it goes from two thousand thirteen to I guess two thousand sixteen, maybe or maybe even now. Who knows? Now Hunter Biden joined his fam his father aboard Air Force Two in December of 2013 on a flight to China. Ten days later, he secured over one billion dollars in financing from the state-run Bank of China for a newly launched private equity firm he co-founded. So one billion dollars we're talking about from the Chinese government because it's a state-run a state-run bank is the Chinese government is run by the state is run by the government. It is the Chinese government gave you one billion dollars. So he explains this, Schweizer. He states, and I quote, Before Joe Biden became, becomes vice president of the United States, Hunter is a lobbyist for online gambling companies in Europe. That's what's, what he's doing. That's his professional background. Once his, his dad becomes vice president of the United States, he suddenly starts doing a whole host of global deals, beginning with China. He flies with his dad on Air Force Two to Beijing, China in December 2013. So before all of this, he was a, a lobbyist for online gambling companies, which... Can, can you find yourself any more of a uh, integrity-based job to do? It's amazing. So then he, he states, and I quote, Within 10 days of that trip, Hunter Biden joins the board of directors and gets an equity stake in a Chinese government-financed investment firm called BHR Partners, Bohai uh, Harvest RST. He has no background in private equity. He has no background in China. They put him on the board precisely because his father is vice president and precisely because his father is taking pro-China positions on the global stage. So yeah, within 10 days of that trip that he takes with his father at Air Force Two, he now is on the board of directors for an equity stake on a Chinese government-financed investment firm. Now, uh, next is the Chinese Communist Party viewed Hunter Biden as a conduit through which political influence with the Obama administration could be procured. That's what uh, Schweizer says. And then he states, there's a very clear reason why the Chinese government wants the son of the vice president sitting on their board involved in these deals because they need the approval of the Obama-Biden administration, which is, of course, what they get when they start acquiring these companies. So pretty much he's on the board just to cover themselves against the Biden and the uh, the Obama administration. It's also a way, if you think about it this way, it's also a way to blackmail an administration saying, oh, well, look, we have family members here as well. So what, you're, you're going to come down on us? We're going to tell the entire American public what you guys have been doing this whole time illegally. So they have their, they have them there. They really do. It's like a catch-22. So Joe Biden repeatedly denied having discussions with Hunter Biden about his son's foreign uh, financial dealings. He states, I've never discussed my business or their business, my sons or daughters, said Joe Biden in 2019. And I've never discussed them because they know where I have to do my job and that's it. And they have to make their own judgments, end quote. Which to me sounds like a bunch of garbage. That's that's the position he's been holding this whole time, but it just does not, it's nonsensical when he's the one getting on the plane to go with his son to China, and then suddenly his son's now is coming back on a board of directors of this huge equity state-funded federal, you know, uh, Chinese government-funded firm. Now, laws prohibiting a political bribery include transference of money to elected officials, family members, Schweizer noted. Uh, so this is actually, this can legitimately be a crime. Now, Schweizer pointed to a photograph of Joe Biden posing with oligarch Keynes Rakashev of Kazakhstan, who once reported explode business with Hunter Biden as further evidence of the former vice president's deception in denying knowledge of his family's financial dealings. So it seems like Hunter Biden really uh, got around. He went from Europe, he was 
in the game he was a gambling lobbyist for these online gambling companies then he goes to china with his dad and then now there's reports that he was in kazakhstan trying to do business over there a recent report from the daily mail suggests that the procurement of political favors from joe biden via hunter biden by yelena bacharina a russian oligarch who wired 3.5 million to rosemont seneca rosemont seneca a private investment firm co-owned by hunter biden Batterina's brother said the consultancy fee was a payment, and I quote, a payment to enter the American market. There you go. So we got Hunter Biden now also adds to his impressive portfolio. He adds Russia as well, on top of all the other countries that he's doing deals with, international sleazeball deals, to enter the American market. It's pretty much just lobbying to get into the American market. And then also through that lobbying, it is also a deceptive uh, blackmail maneuver. And now you can pass laws that will benefit these companies in the United States uh, because they have this blackmail information on you and they've paid you these, these large sums. So he got $3.5 million from Rosemont Seneca, uh, a, or that was wired to Rosemont Seneca from a Russian oligarch. $3.5 million. And that's his private investment firm. So now what I got next, oh, it's still him. Jeez, man, there's so there's so much with Hunter Biden. Now, Schweizer identified Hunter Biden's previous position on the board of directors for Burisma. So that's a Ukrainian energy company. So that now we got, what do we have, like five different uh, countries that Hunter Biden is somehow on some sort of a board or getting some sort of money from. Now, a Ukrainian energy company, Burisma, as further evidence of Joe Biden's monetization of political influence through his son, and I quote, Hunter Biden was getting a million dollars a year from a corrupt Ukrainian energy company, Schweizer stated. And he states he had no background energy, energy. Uh, he had no background in energy. He had no background in Ukraine. We now know with emails that have been released that he was working at Burisma's direction to try to deflect investigations into Burisma, which is a very corrupt company run by uh, corrupt oligarchs, end quote. So this is what he's referring to here is when Joe Biden and there's a uh, video of it out. Joe Biden admits in 2018 that he pressured Ukraine to terminate the attorney, I guess the prosecutor in Ukraine that was investigating the corruption in Burisma. He was telling them, hey, we're going to we're going to hold federal funding from you unless if you fire this guy because he's a bad guy. And then, I mean, it's a viral video. Maybe I'll play it next time because I do not have it loaded up today. So what I have here is next, it's, it's, it's Frank Biden. So companies owned by Frank Biden, Joe Biden's youngest brother, received millions of dollars in taxpayer loans related to real estate development in the Caribbean during Joe Biden's vice presidency. Uh, Schweizer said Frank Biden was basically a real estate agent and not very successful in Florida, suddenly decides he's going to go into the renewable energy business. He had no background in any of that. He set up a company in Costa Rica and sets up another company in Jamaica and lo and behold gets involved in deals that get taxpayer-backed loans from the U.S. government or more specifically from the Obama-Biden administration to do renewable energy projects in Costa Rica and Jamaica, end quote. So this actually does tie into what I'm talking about. So all the, all the BS, all the garbage, everything that is in this stimulus bill all this money that's going to these foreign countries, it's going to these foreign countries for a reason. It's backing these weird government loaned programs in foreign in foreign countries. And then there's people from the United States that are either lobbyists or they're, they're connected politically. They will go and they will invest and say, oh, I'm starting this company doing this. And they'll take the loan straight from the federal government. And then they'll pretty much liquidate the business and walk out or they'll, they'll launder it through that business or embezzle the money. And then they'll, they'll dip out and then they'll sell it to somebody else and they'll get rid of the company or they'll just continue to soak up uh, U.S. citizens loan dollars as long as the federal government is handing it to them. Like what, what went on in that last bill? So, yeah, so now it's a guy that has no success. We have Frank Biden, zero, he's very low amounts of success as a real estate agent. And now suddenly he's in renewable energy with no background in it at all. And he, he's now setting up these companies in Costa Rica and Jamaica just to pretty much take money from the U.S. government. Now, Frank Biden's business interests also received millions of dollars in grants from the Department of Education towards the construction of charter schools. Joe Biden's youngest brother described his family name as a tremendous asset that delivers automatic acceptance for government approves approvals of school projects and securing public funding 
Uh, Schweizer states, these are our grants that are discretionary, which means the Department of Education could decide who they want to give them to. Frank Biden took in millions of dollars from the education department while his brother was vice president of the United States. So, yeah, his, his younger brother also on top of that. Or is that his youngest brother? Because then he also has another brother. Yeah, it's his youngest brother. So his youngest brother is now taking in money uh, from the U.S. Department of Education, and it's discretionary. They decide who they want to give the money to, and his name being Biden, he's taking advantage to get that money to secure it. Now, he adds Schweizer, Frank Biden actually had a meeting involving his companies in the Oval Office with Barack Obama and just a couple of other individuals. If his name had been Frank Jones instead of Frank Biden, I doubt any of that would have happened, which is right. So now next is James Biden, the younger brother of Joe Biden, worked as executive vice president of Hillstone International, a firm that received $1.5 billion in government contracts during the Obama administration, including the contract to build 100,000 homes in Iraq as part of an international development project. Schweizer, so this is where our money is going. All of our money is just going to other countries. And then we have people that are that are really uh, taking advantage of the political system. And they're politically connected. They are going and they're running these businesses just like a government business would be. They're taking all the money at the top and then they're, they're you know, they're doing whatever they have to do. But they're definitely taking a cut. So Schweizer detailed that conflicts of interest related to James Biden's position with Hillstone International, given Joe Biden's oversight of ostensibly uh, humanitarian government-funded development projects in Iraq during his presidency. Uh, James Biden had no background in construction or international development when he joined the company. Hillstone International's company profile of James Biden touted his fam familiar his family connection to Joe Biden as a professional attribute. So Schweizer states, within six months of Hillstone's funding, they land these billion-dollar contracts to build homes in Iraq. This is part of the Iraq reconstruction after the war. And who is in charge of the Iraq reconstruction at the time? Joe Biden, his, his brother. Now we have a third member of the family who because of Joe's position, is cashing in. In this case, taxpayer money is flowing to a member of the Biden family. End quote. So that's amazing. Uh, it's, it's almost like we go to war just so then we can make money off of build reconstruction and building up so we can make personal money. It's great, isn't it? So next what I have, I have Valerie Biden, that is Joe Biden's sister, who previously managed Joe Biden's senatorial campaign campaigns in Delaware financially benefited from donations to her brother's later presidential campaigns in 2008 she sent 2.5 million to a political communications firm from citizens for Biden and Biden for President Incorporated so money that was given to Biden's campaign she was able to launder it and take it and, and give it to her political communications firm from citizens for Biden and Biden for President Incorporated so she took 2.5 million dollars worth of contributions to his campaign and that's just her. So now I have Ashley Biden. That is the very fifth and the last one. Ashley Biden is Joe Biden's uh, daughter. And Joe Biden helped her husband, Howard Crane, launch healthcare company startup health in 2011. He arranged a meeting with former President Barack Obama in the Oval Office weeks after the company's founding. Startup health's meeting with Barack Obama was a huge hookup. Schweizer explained, noting Startup Health's securing of an invitation to Health Data Palooza, a joint conference run by the federal government and health industry. So it was a very small company, and they were able to get this invitation to this huge federal government conference. Now, Crane, who is the uh, son-in-law of Biden, is now adv advising Joe Biden's campaign on coronavirus matters while Startup Health plans to invest $1 million in companies developing good and goods and services pertaining to the novel virus. Political reported, Cranes simultaneously advising the campaign and venturing into COVID investing could pose conflict of interest concerns for a Biden administration or simply create the awkward appearance of Crane profiting off his father-in-law's policies, which that's that's true. So Schweizer credited the Biden family with expanding the frontiers of American political corruption. In conclusion, he states, the Bidens to me are unprecedented in the extent of scope of the corruption because I've been doing this for this for a long time, I've exposed Republicans and Democrats the most and and that I've ever seen up to this point was a Republican senator from Missouri that had three family members engaged in this kind of behavior. The Bidens now have five, making the Biden five, in my mind, the reigning champs when it comes to corrupt behavior in Washington, D.C. So really what 
which Weiser saying is he's pretty much bipartisan. He has exposed Democrats as well as Republicans. And he's saying this is by far the most corrupt family that he's ever seen or the most corrupt behavior he's ever seen in Washington, D.C. Uh, the most important part is what this about this crane guy, his, uh, his son-in-law. He makes money off of more and more COVID restrictions and more things needed for COVID. So any COVID-19 funding can actually be going to his company because that COVID-19 funding that is given to these individual states, the federal government, and then they have the discretion to spend on what company they want to spend it on. And yeah, we're going to go with Startup Health, uh, Joe Biden's son-in-law's company to get all of our, our, our goods and services. So yeah, you're seeing some corruption from the uh, Biden family. It's being exposed a little bit. I don't know how much longer he's going to last. If he ends up becoming president, they might get rid of him very quickly. They might give him the boot within, you know, like maybe a year. So true to find. So next what I have here is I have true to vote, which is this. What's the best way to explain them? They're a, uh, conser they're a vote monitoring organization. They try to ensure the fairness of the vote. They work together in doing so, defend the vote, the electoral process. That's really what they do. So True to Vote partners with Georgians to challenge more than 300,000 allegedly ineligible voters. So True to Vote finds 300,000 allegedly ineligible voters in uh, Georgia. This is a Breitbart article. So it's, it's by Kyle Morris, and it starts off, News of the challenge came in a press release in which the organization defined the challenge as a unique feature in Georgia law. Uh, according to the True to Vote, uh, True the Vote, the law states, it, the law allows a voter to challenge the eligibility of any other voters in his or her county if probable cause ex exists to show that the challenge voter does not meet the qualifications legally required to cast a ballot. In addition, it represents one of the few vehicles that states have to update voter rolls ahead of an election without compromising any legitimate voters' rights to have their vote counted. And this is important to have this before the election rather than after, because after the election now all these courts are holding that, oh, well, you should have said something before the election. And then you look into the state constitution or you look into the state laws and it says you can't you really, like, here's the thing, you can't sue preemptively before something actually happens. I can't sue someone civilly for assaulting me when they have yet to assault me. So essentially that's what the laws say in these individual state constitutions or the, in these state laws provisions. So this is a way to preemptively do something that also doesn't disenfranchise people. So the challenge comes after True the Votes uh, voter registry research identified 124,000 registered voters who no longer reside in the county of record, and 240,000 voters who no longer reside in the state of Georgia. According to the filings with the United States Postal Service, National Change of Address, and other supporting commercial uh, databases. So they, they utilize commercial databases as well as the United States Postal Service uh, Change of Address system. I guess they have some sort of database as well there. And they, they look through names and they tried to match the name to an address. And now suddenly we're looking at names that aren't even that are on the voter registry that are not even in the state anymore. Uh, we, uh, it's a combination of they no longer reside in the county, 124,000, and then 240,000 don't even reside in the state, which that's really a substantial because those are the votes that really, uh, 240,000, those are votes that completely should just be thrown out if they're not living in the state anymore because then that's an illegal vote. Now, if they're not living in the county, that's a little different. Yeah, there's certain, now for the Senate seat, it's not going to be an illegal vote, but if it was a county election, then it would be an illegal vote. So it continues, filing the... Ch Filing the challenges preemptively before absentee ballots are open will help ensure only legal eligible votes are counted in Georgia's January 5th runoff election. Engelbrecht added, I guess that's the True the Vote uh, representative. Now, True the Vote's press release also noted that according to Georgia law, an elector challenge must be filed before a vote is cast. Once a vote has been cast, or in the case of the absentee ballots, once the ballot has been removed from its signed envelope, there is no way to identify which ballot belongs to the eligible party. So the organization also stated that, yeah, because once, now that shows right there. Look at that. A ballot, if, if the ballot is taken out now of the signed envelope, there's no way to identify whether or not it is a legal ballot now at this point. So this is the problem that they're having in all the legal challenges, especially in Georgia particularly. I know certain states have different different legal challenges. But once you take that ballot out of out of this 
envelope because the signed envelope is supposed to be the thing that validates that vote. Now, at this point, you have, you don't know if it's an eligible party or not because maybe the name's not on it. I'm not exactly sure how their system over there works. But now you have no idea if it's a legal vote or not once you take it out of. That's why when they said, oh, we're going to recount the votes in Georgia, it really didn't matter because you got the damage was already done. You guys took all of the ballots out of the envelope and you didn't hold on to any of the envelopes. Now, the organization also stated that an electoral challenge does not remove voter names from the registry and that voters who have been challenged will have the opportunity via uh, Georgia's code 21-230 to prove eligibility and still have their vote counted in the upcoming runoff election so really no harm no foul in this it's just we're trying they're trying in georgia to make sure that only the legal ballots are counted uh which has been echoed a million times by the trump administration trump campaign uh they've said this many times and it's it's something that's been mischaracterized by the media making it like they want to throw out legal votes now, election officials told by Dominion that memory card may need to be removed because of the capacity issues. Well, that's another thing I wanted to go into. I didn't get the full article, but I was reading it. I was reading it earlier today, and we, we got is Pennsylvania. Oh, you know what? I can actually pull it up. I think I have it on my email. It was a Daily Wire piece. And like I said, as always, everything will be in the description below. I'll add this now just that I have... Uh, just because I'm talking about. So Trump campaign appeals the PA challenges over mail-in votes to the Supreme Court. This is by Tim Pierce. It is a Daily Wire article. It was written yesterday, uh, December 22nd, or two days ago, December 22nd, 2020. Uh, President Trump's campaign appealed these three cases in the Supreme Court on Sunday, asking for a review of decisions issued by the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court. And this is something they've been challenging over and over again in the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania really doesn't care. Then when you kick it up to the federal Supreme Court, they don't really care either. <laughs> so they, they just keep kicking it back down to Pennsylvania because Pennsylvania made this court rule that we're going to accept votes after this date, which really, if you're going to make any type of rule in regards to voting or the election, it has to be done by the state legislature. And it also has to be in terms of time, the date that has to be uniform throughout the country through the federal government code. And they're also in violation of their constitution. And in, in a lot of these Supreme Court cases that they have here in this state of Pennsylvania, they are completely against their constitution. I've covered that extensively. Now, Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, announced the request for writ of certiori. Writ of certiori is really just a request to send it up to the Supreme Court. Essentially, they're looking for a higher court to uh, to rule on this. The first, the campaign is made independently to the Supreme Court in its efforts to challenge the results of the election in uh, Pennsylvania. Now, what they're talking about here, I'm going to try to find the numbers because it's very important. So, the campaign is seeking to invalidate roughly 110,000 mail-in ballots, which I'm pretty sure that would give that give a Trump victory because the difference, the margin right now is 80,000, so it would easily give a Trump victory. And that's really the point of this suit. They have three different suits that they filed. Uh, the campaign seeks to three decisions. Now, what are the three decisions? Asking the Supreme Court to allow to consider the votes. So what they want is they're, they're wanting, they don't want them to consider the electoral votes. They want the state legislature to vote on who the electoral college sh should vote for, which really isn't, uh, that's a constitutional process. Once again, all these, all these things that I've seen from the Trump campaign so far, everything has been constitutionally driven, especially this 12th amendment thing that may be in the works. Everything has been constitutionally driven. All the arguments have been through the constitution. Whereas, all the arguments from the lefties, the libs, the Democrat Party, everything coming from these courts, everything is not from the is not deriving itself from the Constitution. So you have the Trump administration. As much as people call him, you know, they call him what they call him, a dictator, whatever they call him. At this point, uh, you're looking at a person that is actually following the rules and using the uh, using the process the way in which it was supposed to be used. And he's still getting flack for it. It's pretty much just because there's an R next to his name and the media is out to get him all the time. Now, what we have is a statistical analysis would prove that 70,000 mail-in ballots cast by Biden voters were improperly counted to seal his victory. Yeah, because they're talking about how the they pretty much amended the Constitution 
through like Supreme Court order and through uh, or the state constitution, through Supreme Court order as well as the legislature with a regular law. They they use the they pretty much passed the law that was in violation of Section seventy seven of of the uh, or it was called Act seventy seven in Pennsylvania, and it was in violation of the Constitution. I don't remember exactly the section and the act and the number, but I've covered this before. Now, the, pre, the Supreme Court previously rejected a lawsuit brought by, by Texas challenging the Pennsylvania election laws as well as election laws in three other battleground states. Uh, Texas Attorney General General uh, Ken Paxton argued that changes made to election laws in Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin amid the pandemic were unconstitutional, and the state AG sought to have each of the electoral college votes invalidated. Uh, Trump had touted the lawsuit, called it, calling it the big one. Then he continues, the state of Texas's motion for leave to file a bill of complaint is denied for lack of standing under uh, Article 3 of the Constitution. The, the court stated in its order dismissing this, the case, Texas has not demonstrated judicially cognizable uh, interest in the manner in which another state conducts its elections. All other pending motions are dismissed as moot, and that I've covered that before. So yeah, just that's just interesting. Just want to cover that because I know everyone's making a big deal out of it. How Trump keeps going after Pennsylvania, his legal team's just trying to find any way to edge through. And and you know at least they could say at the end of the day that they fought and the institutions failed them and and people did not abide by the Constitution. They can at least say that at the end of the day. And people will know. People that are constitutionally minded, people that have read it before and are aware of what it says and what it means and all the arguments therein. They will understand that everything that's being done right now is unconstitutional. The fact that, that none of the court systems want to take it up or uphold the Constitution. But they don't, they don't want to throw any votes out because they're actually afraid of what's going to happen. Really. that's the, To me, that's what it seems like. They seem uh, like they have... They're spineless, spineless jellyfish. Uh, they have no intestinal fortitude at this point. So, to end here, I have... Election officials told by Dominion that memory cards may need to be removed because of capacity issues. It is a Just the News article uh, by Daniel Payne. It is titled, Georgia election officials were told election software updates not covered by open records request. Officials warned against providing information that could harm the security of election equipment. I think this is very interesting. So a recently revealed memo shows a top-ranking Georgia election official informing county election workers that they are not required to provide journalists and citizens with record of software updates applied to voting machines in the state. Chris Harvey, the state elections division director, said in the the November 17th memo, so this is after the election happened, that multiple counties have reported receiving open records requests asking for data information, including in part copies of any software patches performed on Dominion voting machines in the state of Georgia prior to the November 3rd, 2020 general election. So they don't want to give any information about software patches because now they're saying it's going to uh, affect the election or informing. What does he say exactly? It's go- It's going to... Uh, I don't know, it's, it's going to jeopardize the election, which doesn't really make sense because at this point now it is after the election, they just want to know the software. Why is it that they don't want to give any of that information? So this guy, Chris Harvey, the election division director, he states, under the Open Records Act, uh, providing copies of software, software updates, or thumb drives containing software or software updates is not subject to open records requests, therefore... Uh, and, and this is what he states, and I quote, that could harm the security of the election equipment and is forbidden from being shared. So that, that I find very interesting that they don't want to even state the patches that happened in the Dominion voting system, especially considering the hacking of SolarWinds, which is the, the software that Dominion uses. And uh, yeah, that's that's really it. Uh, please like, share, subscribe. And then then you know what? On top of that too, if you really... You bring this whole thing full circle because you're looking at Dominion's voting systems. Uh, they use SolarWinds. SolarWinds got hacked. Now they don't want you to even look at the Dominion updates that happened in the system because that could have something to do with the hacking. 
And then we're talking about, now we have Mike Flynn talking about hacking in foreign foreign countries, and he's also talking about how foreign countries have information about about what happened on Election Day. So it all kind of ties in uh, together, and it's it's something to be very skeptical about of, of what's going on exactly. And I think we'll hear more about this. I think it will slowly trickle out. I think it will end up being just like the uh, the setup, the spygate on the Trump campaign. It'll, it'll be something that goes over the span of years, and we'll suddenly realize, oh, look at all of this information. Look what really happened. This shit was, it was set up. It was, it was hacked, what have you. So now, uh, yeah, so that'll conclude this one here. Please uh, like, share, subscribe, drop the mic, let people know about the podcast. I greatly appreciate everyone for listening. This is the Christmas Eve special. I will be releasing it. I'm recording it a little early. I'm going to be releasing it uh, Christmas Eve morning. Anyone want to listen to it while they're setting up or they're cooking or what have you. Uh, I hope everyone has a great Christmas. And, uh, yeah, please, please make sure you drop the mic, like, share, subscribe, and, uh, everyone enjoy their holiday. Thank you.